0: Amen. Well, are we ready? Are we ready? How many people in here absolutely flat out just love Jesus Christ? Let me see you this in the country. Let me see you holler. <laughs> Amen. You know I've been in Arkansas way too long. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I, uh, that, was a good, that was some good worship here. That's some good stuff. That's some good stuff. And, you know, worship is not just what you do in church. Worship actually is a lifestyle. It is, you know. Um, there, are, there have been times in my life where I have been driving, and I don't know how many of you have ever experienced that. Um, they say texting and driving is dangerous. Worshiping and driving is even worse. It's even more dangerous. My kids, when my kids were little and they used to drive with me to school, there were times when I would be listening to the radio or I hear something that just, pow, hit me in my spirit. I, 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 I pull over, literally, and my kids go, oh, Lord, not now. And I pull the car over, get out, and I'll run around the car in broad daylight. I didn't care who was looking at me. If if. If over 30, 40,000 people can jump up, scream, and act a fool in the Superdome when Drew Brees throws a pigskin across a white line, come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. I serve a God who has never lost the case. We serve a God that has never lost the game. Matter of fact, he is the ultimate game changer. Has he changed the game in your life? Amen, amen, amen. Well, let us pray. God, we thank you, first of all, for the fact that you have given us the opportunity to come into your house. That <laughs> This is your house. Thank you for the invitation, Daddy. Thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to come into your presence. Before your son died on the cross, <laughs> there were those who wanted so desperately to be in your presence and couldn't. Now that we have an opportunity, God, call your people back. But we thank you for the opportunity we have to come into your presence. Thank you for tearing down the veil. So we can come into your presence. So we ask tonight, from this office, from this desk, I ask that the Holy Spirit will speak. I submit myself and my tongue and my instruments to the, the influence and the, the dictates and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Father, we humbly submit ourselves to you and we thank you and we honor you and we bless you. For your word is yes and amen. And we will stand forever. Your word stands forever. The flowers fade and the, waters, the, the, the grass wither, but the word of our God stands forever. Lord we love you we thank you we honor you in Jesus name we pray Amen Amen Amen, Amen. Well as you can tell Pastor Renee is not here I know oftentimes people uh, really get us mixed up we look so much alike and so I think that's that's what he does when he leaves he put his twin brother in of another mother in place to take his place so you know I just I just I love my twin brother I love I really do you know, in and, and the process, he told me he wanted me to come and, and, and just teach from uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 10. And uh, I've been looking through it in my pro- time of process, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And see, Pat, I, I've come to learn a, a lot about Pastor Renee. Boy, I've come to love him. We spent all these years actually going to Africa with him. And, and uh, he'll set you up sometime. You, see, some of y'all don't really know. That's the side of Pastor René. He got to set you upside. Mike, you know what I'm talking about. He'll get you. Like that one time I went to Africa and we were coming out and I didn't know I was coming out of Simba Lounge. And I'm holding my Bible and had the, the, the conference tag right here. And he said, Brother Freddy, stop right there. Let me take this picture. I'm holding my Bible, like, looking like a man of faith and power. And they all laughing. I'm like, why are you laughing? I mean, I didn't get it. They still, every, the whole time we were in Africa, they laughing. I'm like, why are they laughing? We get to church that next Sunday, and people are just laughing. I'm like, what are you laughing? And Matt came and said, Freddie, I love you, but I got to just share something with you. Dude, you've been straight had. I'm like, what are you talking about? Did you not see the picture in the lobby? This is veil House. I'm like, no. He said, come here, man. Pastor Renee got you. How many of y'all remember that picture? Y'all remember that picture? When I walked out and Pastor Renee took the picture, I was, that was a Simba lounge. It was a lounge, and I didn't know it. Because we was a restaurant connected, and I came out and took the picture. And they posted it on the bulletin board. And at the bottom it says, ministry trip? Okay. <laughs> and when I went, oh, no, Pastor Renee didn't. Not my first, mini- not my first ministry trip. Bob. And I'm like, man, Pastor, he went, love you, Brother Fred. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> whatever. But I love him. I love his wife. We love the people of God. We love living word. We really do. And you guys have blessed my wife and I and our children's socks off. So, tonight, uh, it's one of these things where, you know, um, there's a whole lot of stuff in there. There are a lot of parallels running alongside each other, but a lot of antithesis running alongside. And you jump from one verse to the other and it just changes gears, change gears, changes. It's like, okay, man, I mean, you don't want to just throw a smorgasbord of stuff because you want to just stay within a vein. So, guess what? Tonight, I'm going to do verse one. Why not? This is Father's Day week anyway, right, brothers? And we're gonna celebrate Daddyhood Sunday. So what I'm going to do is we're gonna uh, I'm gonna title this. If you look at your uh, your notes, wisdom versus folly, wisdom versus folly, and we're gonna take a look at the at verse one because it says the Proverbs of Solomon in verse one a. Uh, verse 1, also contains a proverb which summarizes and repeats the theme An the indu- introduction given in chapters 1 through 9. And chapters 1 through 9, the theme talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 1 through 9 deals with that. The fear of the Lord, the honor of the Lord, the respect of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord is the foundation and the beginning of wisdom. Okay, we'll do an interactive. So I'll talk to you and you come talk back to me. We can do that, you know. And a lot of, Brother Mike, a lot of churches I come out of, they throw stuff at you when you make a good point. They have towels and they pop you, they throw stuff, they stand and point at you, you know. I don't know how many of y'all have ever been in a theater with our people, but we talk back to the screen. <laughs> you know, something going, on, oh, no, you didn't. We do that, you know. And, and you know, every now and then, Pastor, you know, he'll, when he hits something like, come on, say that, preacher. And he's just like, he's just laughing. But I, I love interactive word of God. I love when, when a man or a woman stands and gives truth. I'd rather hear the truth now than to hear it on the other side of the grave where it might be too late. Anybody agree with me? So in the first nine chapters, he's already dealt with the beginning of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. And now we're going to take a look at it. It says the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge but fools despise wisdom according to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now, something we need to take a look at, by turning to the Lord for salvation and then by turning to the Lord for guidance, one can find the most joyous and profitable course of life. You see, once we turn to God and salvation... Then we then turned to him and said, okay, God, now that I've given my life to you, I need you to guide me now. Because I don't know how to take these steps unless you're Because you're learning to walk all over again. Anybody know that to be true? When you come to know Jesus, it's a, you're learning how to walk. Because, see, before God, your walk was crooked. Well, we were some crooked walking people. And our crooked walk had us all over the place, huh, Mike? We were, all, we were in places we know we shouldn't have been. Doing stuff we know we shouldn't have been doing. But somebody say, but God. One of the promises that Mike, he will, he will guide us. He will order our steps to order. Amen. Amen. And it's, number two says, the son found in verse one, who is wise enough to do this will, make his parents rejoice. The son or daughter who understands the fear of God and the foundation of God, who seeks the guidance of God, will be a blessing to both the mother and their father. And that's what verse 1 really deals with. Now, how many of you guys remember that was an old movie with Judy Garland in it? It was called The Wizard of Oz. How many of you remember that movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought it was so funny when I saw the movie because it had a good witch. Really? You see how the world does that? But oh, anyway, in the movie, the house fell on one of the evil witches. And Dorothy didn't know where she was. She was in Oz. And she wanted to get home. And so supposedly this good witch told her, if, and if you want to get home, you got to follow the? Okay. Yeah, some of y'all telling on your age right now. <laughs> you have to follow the yellow big road. If if you want to get to your destination, Dorothy, you have to stay on the yellow brick road. Now, how many know if you've ever watched the movie, while that journey and her staying on the yellow, she encountered a lot of stuff that was not good. Anybody remember? A lot of stuff that was not good. But she stayed on it and ended up at the Emerald City where she ran into Yeah, the wizard. And ultimately she got home. Well, here is the analogy here as it relates to verse one. The yellow brick road is symbol of the truth of God's word. If we're going to get home safely, we have got to make sure we stay on the yellow brick road. We've got to stay in the wisdom of God. In this case, the yellow brick road is the wisdom of God and the guidance of God. Now, does that mean that if we're walking on this journey, to where we need to be that we're going to never encounter troubles? No. Anybody ever encountered troubles tonight? Ever had to deal with troubles? Anybody have to deal with setbacks and heartaches and disappointments? Yeah. But see, here's the thing. It is not that you have done something wrong that you're encountering, because the Bible says in this life you you will deal with those things. But those things, as Paul says, should never impede our journey. He says you need to shake off those things that easily beset you, the yoke that holds you down. Shake it off and stay on the road. So we seek for guidance. So here we see that the father and the mother not only have a natural concern for their son, found in verse 1, but also have a responsibility to train this child. And we're going to deal with it. So what does verse 1 deal with? So do you, uh, do you have verse 1? Here it is. It says Proverbs chapter 10 verse 1. A wise, let's read it together. Ready? Read. A wise child brings joy to a father. A foolish child brings grief to a mother. All right, ready? Read it again. Ready? Read. A wise child joy to a father. A foolish child brings grief to a mother. Now do you see the antithesis here? Do you see the parallel? What is the parallel here? You've got a wise child and then you have a what? Foolish child. Both in the same verse you have this antithetical thing going on. And yet, in both cases, it is affecting both parents. What does a wise child do? Brings joy. What does a foolish child do? Brings grief. And yet, If the son is wise, they rejoice, both parents. If he is wise, both parents will grieve. Now, when we look at this, this this, this choice, if you will, you understand Dorothy had to make a decision to stay on the path that was given to her. And every last one of us have to make a decision to stay in the path of wisdom until we get home. That's not talking about your place of residence here. I'm talking about your place of residence there. Place of residence there. There's a scripture I I failed to read. Go to, uh, let's see, in Proverbs 14, 12. Go to Proverbs 14, 12. Proverbs, I want you to see this. In the New Living Translation, it says, there is a path before each person that seems what? That seems what? But what is the end result of that path? Why? There is a path before each person that seems right, but it, but it ends in death. It's interesting that while you're walking on this path, everything looks normal. Everything looks good. The problem with this path is that you never end up in a destination you think you will be going. Because in our own mind, our own perception, the path we take seems to be the right path. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does when we accept Jesus Christ, he brings us a level of truth and knowledge concerning where we were as we came to Jesus Christ. Paul said this, not that I have already attained the thing that I'm I'm, I'm believing for, but this one thing I do. He said, here's the one thing I do. I'm not there yet, but here's the one thing I do. He says, I am what? I'm forgetting those things which are where? Notice he says where they are. They are behind me, meaning this. If it's behind me and I'm going forward, I don't have time to stop, turn around, and go revisit this thing again. Because wisdom tells me I need strength and guidance and wisdom for the journey so I can continue. So he says, I forget what's behind me. And then he says, I what? I press. Somebody say press. I don't know if you've ever seen track and field. My wife and I was looking at the SEC track and field. When they get to the finish line, you see some of the runners, they lean forward. And I believe we're in the last leg before the turn, the return of Jesus Christ. This is not time to pull up with a cramp. This is not time to say I need some water. This is not the time to say I'm tired of running. This is not the time to give up. But we need to start what? Pressing into the things of God. Pressing into his word. Pressing into the Holy Spirit. Pressing into the divine calling by which you have been called by Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Turn your neighbors to the neighbors. Turn to press. Get the wrinkles out. Amen. He says he's coming after the church without a spot or what? Wrinkle. Wrinkle. Amen. Amen. So we see here in the Proverbs that three things. The proverb contains a contrast. Number one, the father of the wise son rejoiced. The mother of the, wise, the unwise grieves. And the conclusion is both parents are affected. If the, wise, if the son is wise, they rejoice. If he is unwise, they grieve. Now, there are two responsibilities I want to take a look at. One dealing with the parent and the other dealing with the child. This is what I want to look at right now from this same verse. The role of the parent. Here's Sunday. We're going to be celebrating uh, Father's Day. And we won't talk a whole lot about that tonight, but we'll be celebrating Father's Day. And I just... I just I've been really believing God and just praying things that I see on TV. Our culture um, is working overtime to feminize masculinity. Did y'all hear what I just said? Our culture is working overtime to feminize masculinity. As if somehow being a man is all, all of a sudden wrong. You see, there was a time where where psychologists used to, uh, because of where women were in our culture, they weren't highly respected, they couldn't vote this, that, and the other, and a man occupied and still occupies a very prominent position in the home because of the the, the accountability that God has placed and the responsibility God has placed upon him. Our culture during the feminist movement attacked that. It attacked it. Now, while I'll be the first one to tell you that I was all for women right to vote. You know, I mean, you're a citizen, why not? In God's eye, they have equal value because in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27, he says, And he gave dominion to them. Do you understand? He gave dominion to them collectively together. But, our, but if you remember in, inside of the, the marriage vows, he said, What God has joined together. Let no man put asunder or divide. And that's what we see happening in our culture today. So because of what we see in our culture, many of our children are growing up, not understanding who they really are in terms of their gender identification, in terms of the role and the responsibility God has given them. Now, what is the role of the parent as it relates to verse 1? I want you to see this. A son may be wise in spirit, and uh, a son may be wise in spite of the lack of proper training by his parents. That's the first thing I want to take a look at. A son or a daughter may be wise in spite of the lack of proper training by his parents. Yeah, I've been teaching school for 30 something years. We have any other school teachers in here? Yeah, yeah. What I've, found some, what I've found sometimes is that when I see a child act a certain way, I then begin to understand why they do what they do after a parent-teacher's conference. But then there is those cases where I see the child, the loving child, just with a good, beautiful spirit, just, you know, just, oh, just a pleasure to be around. And then I meet the parents like, huh, in the world, you sure somebody just didn't give you this child? Because that child is nothing like you is such a sweet spirit. I mean, how, how, But I believe that sometimes God will grace one or two of those children in the midst of that because children are a gift from God. And God protects children. He loves children. And he will give them a certain level of grace despite. And let me speak tonight. There are probably many of you tonight could testify if you had the opportunity to get the mic. Brother Fred, I could tell you, I was not raised in a godly home. I may have been raised in a home where my father just, he worked hard, but boy, he drank and just did some crazy stuff and said some horrible things. Where my mom and and, and my siblings had to suffer. And yet, in the midst of what you had to experience, look at where you are now because of the grace of God. Can anybody hear me tonight? Because of the grace of God. So, a son or daughter might be wise in spite of the lack of proper training by his parents. Now what I want to do from this point, I want to take a look at, this is clearly seen in the different kings of Israel. Man, you talk about a portrait of some not so good stuff going on if you've ever read about the kings of Israel and their children. The first one I want to take a look at is found in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. Most of what I'll be reading from the Message Bible because it is so clear. Now let's take a look at it. First of all, let's talk about King Josiah, in 2 Kings chapter twenty-two, verse one and two. The message by says Josiah was eight years old when he came, when he became king. He ruled for thirty-one years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, uh, Jedi, 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 daughter of Adoniah, and she was from ba- Bozkath. He lived the way God wanted. Notice that? He lived the way God wanted. He kept straight on the what? There it is again. In other words, as we said, he continued on the yellow brick road. Okay? He kept straight on the path blazed by his ancestor who? Now watch this. This is the thing I love about him. Not one step to either left or right. Not one step either left or right. You remember when Joshua finally became the leader of Israel after Moses stepped away? He said, if you're going to have good success, that you were to meditate on the book of the law day and night and turn not away from it to the left or to the right. And if you do that and meditate on the book of the law, it will make your way successful. We see early on that Josiah, at eight years old, chose to do what was right, and he stayed on the path that was blazed by his ancestor David. Now this is interesting because he reigned for thirty-one years. His reign began in six forty B.C. and ended in six o nine B.C. Now what is interesting is he is the grandson of Manasseh. Josiah. Listen, Mike raised his eyebrow, so he know why. When I tell you why he raised his eyebrow, I'll tell you in a minute. Josiah is the grandson of. Manasseh. Well, if you don't know who Manasseh is, let's take a portrait. Let's take a picture. Let's look up in the family photo album and let's see what Manasseh was like, his grandfather. This is found in 2 Kings chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. Everybody ready? Here we go. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He ruled for 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was God uh In God's judgment, he was a bad king. Somebody say bad king. And he was an evil king. So who determined this man was a bad king? God did. It was God's assessment of this man. Well, let's see. Look, let's look further in this man's pedigree to see why God's judgment against him and God's assessment of this man was a bad king. Because obviously, if Josiah, his grandson, was a good king and did what was right, surely somebody somewhere must have influenced this boy to do right. Let's go back to his grandfather. Let's take a look at him. Let's see what he did. He, he reintroduced all the moral rot and spiritual corruption that had been scorned that scored from the country when God dispossessed the pagan nations in favor of the children of Israel. Continue. He rebuilt all the sex and religious shrines that his father Hezekiah had torn down. He rebuilt he built altars and ph- uh, uh, philetic images for the sex god Baal and sex goddess Asherah. Exactly what Ahaz, king of Israel, had done. He worshipped the cosmic powers, that's astrology, taking orders from the constellation. He even built these pagan altars in the temple of God, the very Jerusalem temple dedicated exclusively by God's decree. Quote, in Jerusalem, God says, I place my name to God's name. And he built shrines to the cosmic powers and placed them In the courtyards of the temple of God. Continue. He burned his own son in a sacrificial offering. For most of you that may not know this, that is called the worship of Molach. Molach was a god, this huge, big old creature, and his hands would sit here, and there was an opening inside of his stomach in which they would heat the furnace up. And they would build this huge statue out in a grove in the middle of the woods. And they would take babies and put them on a tray. And they would take these live babies and stick them in the tray and stick them in the belly and kill it. Sounds familiar? Killing the baby in the belly? Moloch worship is still alive. And they would pound on drums and scream to drown out the scream of the babies that were being burned alive. This is what Manasseh was doing, and this is what Manasseh was setting up in God's temple. Wow. He burned his own son in a sacrificial offering. He practiced black magic and fortune telling. He held seances and consulted spirits from the underworld. Much evil in God's judgment, a career in evil. And God was angry. As a last straw, he placed, you say, man, can we finish this? (laughs) As a last straw, he placed the carved image of the sex goddess Asherah in the temple of God, a flagrant and provocative violation of God's well-known statement both to David and Solomon. And here's what God said to both David and Solomon, quote, in this temple and in this city, Jerusalem, my choice out of all the tribes of Israel, I place my name exclusively and forever. Never again will I let my people Israel wander off from this land I have gave to them and their ancestors. But here is a, the condition. They must keep everything I've commanded in In the instructions, my servant Moses passed on to them. But the people didn't listen. Manasseh led them off the beaten path. There's that road again. There is a way that seemeth right. There it is. He led them off the beaten path into practices of evil, even exceeding the evil of the pagan nations that God had driven out of that place earlier. He took sin and evil to a whole nother level. While I was reading this, God began to instruct me and show me something. Go back to the last slide. I want you to see something, the one right before that. Look at this. It says, the temple of God, a flagrant provocative violation of God's well-known statement to both David and Solomon. In this temple... And in this city, Jerusalem, my choice out of all of the tribes of Israel. Watch this. I place my name exclusively and forever. Never again will I let my people wander off from this land I have given uh, to their, I gave to the ancestors. But here's the condition. Now, I want you to understand something. The temple was supposed to be built to honor the presence of God. Why? Because it was God's instruction to how they would come to worship Him. Whatever God has constructed, He don't want anyone to change it and pervert it. The Bible tells us that marriage is an institution of God, constructed by God. Because marriage is a reflection of the DNA of God, the relationship between Jesus Christ and His Son, Jesus Christ and the Father so is marriage a reflection of the relationship that we have with God. So when a man and a woman love each other, people should see that and say, like, wait a minute, that's what love really looks like. That's what the love of God really looks like. And what has happened because of this, we're doing the very same thing in our culture. They have profaned the thing that God has constructed that will bring him glory, and now man has constructed his own way of building a marriage so that he can get the glory out of it. Wow. It's not just about giving a segment of society certain rights. Mike, it's, it's deeper than that. We, our culture has marred the image of God when they have perverted and changed the relationship that God has established that should reflect him. Do you, if your spouse is here, I want, if your husband, husband and wife is here, I want you to stand up. If you're, if you're a husband and your wife and you're here, please stand. So if your wife is not here, please don't stand. I'm sorry. Okay. I want you to turn to your spouse. Come here, baby girl. Oh, she's going to smooching in church. Okay. Okay, grab them by the hand. Okay. When we share in times of intimacy... And time when we're close together, and time when we're loving each other and loving God the way we're supposed to. The world's supposed to see this because this is a reflection of the relationship between how God loves Jesus, Jesus loved the Father, and how Jesus loves the church. Do you think, for one moment, on the first time that Jesus Christ felt that rip on his back, you're like, hold up, I want a divorce? The first time he experienced pain, he said, you know what? I'm out of here. Girl, you're on your own. The Bible says he went all the way to the cross. I'm telling you, that's what a real man do. A real man go all the way to the Amen. cross for his girl. Amen. And I want you to turn to your spouse and repeat after me. Baby, Baby, you and I are a reflection, you and I are a reflection. to the world. Of the DNA of, the, DNA. of the, love the love that God has for us. And I will always love you forever. Love you forever. Because our marriage, because our marriage should, be should be a reflection of God's love, love, of God's love in, the in the earth. Thank you, Boo. And I love you. Oh, it's going to be awesome when they get home. But I've seen guys buying flowers and taking people out tonight. Because they had profaned the temple. Not just in marriage, Mike, but what does it say about our bodies? What What is our bodies? Huh? What is it? The temple. Look at what we're doing with our temples. And can I tell you who's being affected by it? Our children. Our children. Because we see it every single day in our public schools. Wow. So you would think with this man doing this, there's, no, there's nothing good can come out of his life. I mean, the boy just took sin to a whole other level. Well, let's continue. Let's now go. We've seen his grandson, Josiah. And what does the Bible say about Josiah? He was a man that was what? He was a great king. God called him. He, he, he did what was right. Well, let's take a look at Ma- Manasseh's son, Amon. 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 18 through 22, very quickly. Now, this is Manasseh's son. We already looked at what he did. Okay, naughty, 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 that boy liked to party. Now, his son saw everything that he did, Amon. Let's see what Amon does. Ready? The rest of the life and times of Manasseh, everything he did and his, sor- and his sorry record of sin <laughs> is written in the chronicles of the kings of Judah. <sighs> what a horrible legacy to leave behind. What a horrible legacy to leave behind. I'm going to leave that on because I, I don't want to touch that until Father's Day. What the, the rest of the life and times of Manasseh, everything he did, and his sorry record of sin is written in the chronicles of the kings of Judah. Manasseh died and joined his ancestors. He was buried in the, in the palace garden, the garden of Uzziah. His son Amon became the next king. Now watch this. Now remember, this is that second generation. We've already seen the third one. Now we're looking at the second one. Amon was 22 years old when he became king. He was king for two years in Jerusalem. His mother name was uh, Mesul- Mesul- Lumeth, the daughter of Haraz Har- Haruz. she was from Jothba in God's opinion he lived an evil life watch this from God's opinion do you realize who's speaking here God's judgment God's opinion God's assessment this is the one thing I hope we get tonight and understand about wisdom if we operate according to the world's wisdom, every single one of us is going to look okay. But when we begin to operate and look into the Scriptures and look at ourselves from God's perspective, we realize we're not all that. And there is something always falling short of the glory of God. For all flesh, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But look at the assessment. I love, the thing I love about God's word and God, he always calls things the way they are. God is not into being politically correct. And if God is not into being politically correct, we as his representatives got to understand we cannot walk in political correctness and biblical correctness at the same time. They don't go down the same road. <laughs> that may be offensive to a lot of people, but you know what? I'm not trying to offend the God of heaven because there's a destination I'm trying to get to. So if I offend some people trying to stay bi- biblically correct, hey, I'm fine. Because when I close my eyes and the candle of my life blows out and I take my last breath and I stand before the God of creation, I want him to say, Freddie, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I don't want him to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because you were worried about people and not pleas- pleasing people and not pleasing God. We were never called to be people pleasers. So we got to be all right. Now, we're called to love people, but we've got to walk in biblical correctness. Watch this. She was from Jothba. In God's opinion, he lived an evil life, just like his father Manasseh. He followed in the footsteps of his father, serving and worshiping the same foul gods his father had served. He totally deserted the God of his ancestors. He did not live God's way. Wow. Now watch this. I have painted a portrait of a grandfather, a father, and then the son. Manasseh. Amon and Josiah, you would think what Manasseh did and you would think what Amon did that Josiah didn't have a chance. But in spite of the parents that some of you may have had, you may have had, you turned out all right. You turned out all right because God says, I'm going to raise up a whole nother generation Who's going to love me and going to serve me so I can start all over again? I believe that some of you in here are the beginning of what God wants to do and root up that bad seed and turn out all the negative things that was t- spoken over you as a child. God wants to break those generational curses, and some of you have already had generational curses broken off of you. He says, "I want to begin with you." You can. You had no control of what your grandfather did. You may not have no control over what your grandmother did, but you have control over your decision to follow in their footsteps. Or follow in the footsteps of Jesus, and if you choose to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, he says, I'm going to begin blessing your family through you. I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be teaching. I'm sorry, Mike. I get a little bit excited. We break every generational curse over the families of Living Word Church. You are no longer bound by the negative things that your family members may have told you, that that curse is broken. We, every seed, negative seed that was planted in you, that thing is broken by the blood of Jesus. It's broken by the blood of Jesus. You're no longer a victim by the things that your sister was victimized by. You're no longer a victim by the very thing your grandfather was victimized by. You're no longer a victim. You're a victor because of the blood of Jesus. Amen. 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 The Bible said we're the head, not the tail. Stop walking around here with your head between your tail. You're the head and not the tail. Come on, somebody. I know you don't hear this often. <laughs> so, a son may be wise in spite of the lack of proper training by his parents. And we see that with Josiah. We see it in your life. Now, let's take a look at the next step. A son or a child may be foolish in spite of proper training by the parents. <laughs> Woo, this one drive you bananas. You done did everything right. You done brought them to church. You put them in a Christian school. You had Bible study. You put the word in them. And you look at them like, have you lost your mind? What in the world were you thinking? Hallelujah, bless God. Let me share something with you. I love this. I, I'm almost finished. I'm almost finished. There were 10 children in my household. Ten. Five boys and five girls. Many people in my church when I went to New Orleans used to call us the Black Brady Bunch. <laughs> I don't know who was Greg and who was Marsha. <laughs> I wouldn't Bobby because Bobby was too short. <clears throat> there were 10 of us in the family. And if my mom... I love my mom. If my mom had the opportunity to stand on this pulpit and you ask her the question, Miss Fry, which one of them babies just God just worked you, just worked you? You know when parents, when mama start talking through the teeth, it's on. You know it's, it's boy. You better. My mama teeth stayed together when she came here to see about me in school. Boy, she would say. Of all eight of, 10 of my children, I love them. But see that boy that stands in that office of assistant pastor? Ooh, Jesus, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> I am my mom's greatest testimony to every mother who has a wayward child. I am the poster child for every mama that says, if your child running from you, look at my baby. Because my mama tell mothers who better them every wrong turn your child makes when you pray for them is a right turn right back to God. But you got to keep praying for them. I am the poster child for the comeback kids <laughs> because somebody was praying for me. Wow. A son may be foolish in spite of the proper training by his parents. I say this all the time. I would rather my children not go the way of the world. And I believe and I confess my children will live out their days for Jesus Christ. But I tell parents all the time, if you have done your job, and you've made sure that the seed of the word of God is on the inside of them. I don't care how far they go, God's going to jerk that chain and get them right back home because something's on the inside of Him going to bring them back. How do you know? Because the word tells me that as the snow and the rain falls down from heaven on the ground and doesn't return back, God says, So is my word that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish the purpose that thing was sent and the season that it was sent then so I'm telling you now if the word of the God if the Lord is on the inside of them they could run but they cannot hide and the place of restoration has been shown us time and time again you guys have tried to run but God jerked your chain and got you right back where you needed to be they are living proof that the seed of the word of God will not return void hallelujah all that's in that one verse Man. Look at this. In 2 Kings chapter 23 and 32, look what it says. Jehoaz was 23 years old when he began to rule. Now, we're talking about kids who grow up right, but then all of a sudden just slip out on you. He was the king of Jerusalem for a mere three months. His mother's name was uh, Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah. She came from Libna. In God's opinion, he was an evil king, reverting to the evil ways of his ancestors. Continue. Now, stop. Go back to the next slide, the slide before, okay? So we see Jehoaz uh, at 20, he's now the king of Israel. He began to rule. The thing I want you to understand about him is that he is the son, this man right here, who, guess who his daddy is? Josiah. Josiah. Guess who's Josiah? The one who God declared by his instruction assessment, that man is a great man. That man is a godly man. That man followed. So how can Josiah come from two idiots and then have a child see him honor God and then his son flip the script? It happens sometimes. It happens. All God requires of you and I is to live out. Somebody say live out. Because whether you know it or not, your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren are still watching you. One of the worst indictments, Brother Mike, that I've ever heard was a preacher who stood up. And wept before the congregation and said, God has used me in ways that would astound even the average man. I've seen hundreds of thousands of people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I lost my own child because of the things he saw me do before him. The things he heard me say to his mother, I lost him. What an indictment. I want to speak to every man in here. You know this, and I'm just going to echo it. Your first ministry is not outside this place. It is inside the place you dwell. Do you hear me? Our first ministry, Mike, is to the people that has been assigned to us who lives with us. And though I go out and win all of the masses in Africa, if I lose my own babies, I am a miserable failure. I am a miserable failure because I have not been a good steward over the people that God has entrusted closest to my heart he is the son of Josiah And the Bible says his assessment of this man is that he was an evil king. It's not that this man did not have a good example. He had a good example, but he followed after the evil of his ancestors who was before Josiah. He made a decision. Remember, we're talking about folly, wisdom versus folly. It is always in your power to choose wisdom over folly. And some people choose folly over wisdom. It is still your choice. That's the choice he made. That's the choice he made. Wow. That's the choice he made. That's Josiah's son. Well, let's get to him. Now we're going to take a look at Josiah's other son. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 36 and 37, look what it says. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to rule. He was king for 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother name was Zebediah, daughter of Pedaniah. She had come from Ramah. In God's opinion, he was an evil king picking up on evil ways from his ancestors. You know what's interesting about this king is that he is Josiah's second son. And it's not like these two boys didn't have a great example. Let's go, back to, let's go back to Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 1 very quickly. See, put that up. Proverbs chapter one, chapter 10 and verse 1. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 1. Look at what it says. A wise child brings joy to a foolish child brings grief to a... And you know what's inside of that? Choice. Choice. Let me say this also as we get ready to cl- conclude this portion of the message. If you have done everything God has called you to do, you've loved the children, you've poured into them, you have provided everything that you needed, they needed, you have given them a godly heritage, you have poured into them spiritually, you have been a great example, and a child just steps out and do something, number one, you need to still continue loving them because God still loves them. And number two, do not beat yourself up over that child's choice. Did you hear what I just said? Do not beat yourself up over the decision that their child has made. Now, if you haven't done everything you needed to do, then there has to be a time of repentance to your children, which becomes a very difficult thing. But if you want God to soften their heart, change their heart, and they see some things and some flaws in you, you have to be willing as a parent to say, Baby, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I told you one thing and showed you something else. Daddy, mama, so sorry. Can you please forgive us? And by coming clean and asking your children to forgive you, God will soften their heart and bring them back to him. Anybody hear what I'm saying? Wow. This man did evil. Josiah 2nd son did evil in the sight of God but see the story doesn't stop there because here's the part I hang on to letter C most children will go the way that the parents trained them that's what we're believing for how many of y'all believe in that that your children will continue walking out what you have what you've taught them We believe that because why? We stand firm because long after I'm gone, God says he will bless a thousand generations and teach people who trust him and those who love him. I'm asking God to watch over every generation in in my family. And he made that promise. As long as I'm upright before him, I'm walking before him, long after I'm gone, I say, God, watch over my babies and my babies' babies and my babies' babies. Because he said, because you have been righteous before me, I will take care of your babies. I will make sure they're blessed. And every time they try to go astray, I'm going to pull them back and put people in the path or get them back in line. Yeah. Most of the children will go the way that the parents have trained them. Wow. Let's look at Jehoshaphat. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 41 to 44. Watch this. Jehoshaphat, son of Asa, became king of Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Now, yeah, Ahab rings a bell, huh? You know who his honey dip was, right? Jezebel. Okay, we won't touch her. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he began, became king, and he ruled for 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother was uh, Azubiah, daughter of uh, Shilhai. He continued the kind of life characteristic of his father Asa. No detours. No dead ends. What was he doing? Pleasing God with what? His life. But he failed to get rid of the neighborhood sex and religious shrines. People continued to pray and worship at these idolatrous shrines, and he kept on good terms with the king of Israel. Here's what the situation was. Because he had seen his father live the way he lived, he chose to walk right before God, But there was something about that next step he refused to take. And that was to tear down those things that was displeasing to God. Because maybe he didn't want to offend people. There are a lot of Christians that love God, but they don't want to really speak truth to their family members because it's going to offend them. He followed in the way of his father. But as a king, he had a responsibility to tear that stuff down. Because guess what? God sends out a staunch wording to those who are leaders in His church. Woe to the shepherds that scatter my sheep and cause them to stumble. Oh, man. I, I, I say this, and I say this with all love and, and all sincerity. I am so careful because of this position, how I live my life publicly. I'm so careful. Because I don't want to do anything to cause anybody in my family to stumble behind my bad choices or people within the church to stumble because of horrible decisions that I'm making as a man, as a husband, as a father. It frightens me sometimes to know that you can make one bad mistake and it affects a lot of people's lives. And so I have to stay humble before God. I have given the Holy Spirit right, not just the preacher, not just the pulpit, but the pew too. We have to give the Holy Spirit the right to govern every aspect and convict every wrong, evil thing. If it's just a thought in the heart, Lord, convict me, convict me so I can repent. Blessed is the man that walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, scornful, nor stand in the way of sinners. Nor stand in the way of sinners. Wow. Let me end and say this. Wow. A parent trains by what he or she tells their son. A parent trains by what their children see them do. A parent trains by what he or she requires his son or daughter to do. And a parent trains... By discipline of the child. Did you see that? A parent trains by what the parent tells the son or the daughter. A parent trains by what his son sees the parent does. So it's not so much what you say as much as what they're seeing that speaks louder than what we're saying. A parent trains by what he requires his son or daughter to do. Should not we have a greater expectation of our children of excellence? Even if excellence is not in you, you require excellence. My father told me my father did not graduate from high school. My mama finished at the 10th grade because he had to work. But you know what he told all 10 of us? Oh, you're going to finish school. If a C is all you can get, you better not bring no D's home. If a B is your best, you better not bring a C home. But if an A is what your best is, I better not see no B's. Because my father always believed in pushing us to our potential, but not breaking us. Bending us, but not breaking us. Anybody know what I'm saying? And what I passed on to my children, my father has given me, the expectations of excellence. I don't always get it right. But I have given my children the right to say, Dad, I need you to fix this. I need you to work on this. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Dap me up, man. Appreciate it. You know why I'd say that? Because one day I want his child, Manny's child, Nate's child, Nate's son, Manny's son to say, Manny, Nate, Dad, you didn't get that right. You know what? And his mind can say, you know what? When when I told my dad he didn't have it right, he said, you know what, son, I'm gonna work on it. I need you to pray for me. Then he's going to reciprocate the same humble spirit in front of his children so that his wife, their mother, will not have grief because of the things the dad has done. I'm gonna stop right there. Let us stand. Let us stand. Thank you, Jesus. Wisdom. Versus folly. It's a choice. But tonight we choose wisdom over folly. How many choose wisdom over folly? We will be living examples. I don't care what the rest of the culture is doing. We choose wisdom over folly. For the world's philosophy is hollow, vain, and deceptive. But the truth of God's word will stand forever. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. We are molded and shaped in your image, not an image of the world. Help us to be good fathers. Help us to be good mothers and grandfathers and grandparents and sons and daughters that we may live out our days and our lives will reflect the glory of our God. Lord, I pray that you will give every last one of your people traveling grace until they leave this place. Protect them until they go to their home. We ask this in the name of God our Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.